here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? I'm so jacked up just thinking about this match, and I'm standing and pacing in my bed. So in go Bernalis. In Bernalis. In go Nerablis. You're missing a B there, but that's There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! Many, 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 Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. Give me a name. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Hello. I am the King of Banter internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist as heard on BBC Radio, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, Joe Lanza, and you are listening to your favorite wrestling podcast, the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. How you guys doing? As you can see, we're not wasting any time getting right into the dramatic long pauses. This is, in fact, a solo effort this week. Rich Krejci, I think you should all send him some congratulatory tweets. I'm not sure that he'll get them because he has no internet, which is why he's not on this show this week. But the reason he has no internet is because Rich finally moved into his house. He closed on his house a few weeks ago. And the old uh, deadbeat owners are finally out the door. And, uh, you know, Rich and the nurse are now in their home. And I'm sure during this week off, 
Rich is going to be working very hard on, uh, you know, making some babies to fill up that little house of theirs they got there. So uh, congratulations are in order. We've seen Rich become a man right in front of our eyes during the course of this show since 2011 or whatever whatever it is, however long we've been doing this. I mean, this was a uh, a single, lonely dude living in a cramped apartment in uh, in 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 suburban Chicago, in the middle of gangland, when he started doing this show, and uh, he meets the nurse. Things go from there. We've seen their relationship grow and blossom right in front of our eyes. Of course, they got married earlier this year, and now Rich has joined the great many of us with six figures of debt and a thirty-year loan as he is now a proud homeowner. No longer living in in gang-riddled Chicago. I don't know if he went back to Downers Grove, Illinois, which of course is where Rich grew up and is where Leaping Lanny Poffo grew up. They went to the same high school. I believe Randy Savage did too, but I'm not entirely sure. I think he did. But I do know that Rich is now living in the, uh, the suburbs, so good for him. Him and the nurse... They got their lives going here. Let me tell you, I do have to say, you got to give Rich a lot of credit. Rich was planning a wedding, closing on a house, uh, courting this nurse, and you know, doing 19 different podcasts a week. Whether it's the uh, his NBA podcast or or uh, or the KMP show with with uh, with his good pal John, and then of course uh, this show, which which. You know, used to go four plus hours until we 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 landed our deal with Audio Boom, and now we're you know restricted to three hours. Which, by the way, they only wanted to give us two hours. We had to we had to basically beg and plead and and deliver the numbers for them in order for them to extend us that extra hour to give us the third hour. So, you know, you guys who think this show is you maniacs out there who think this show is too short, complaining that we you know quote only go three hours now. I mean, you're lucky you're getting that. I mean, Audio Boom wanted to give us two hours. But we said, look, we can't do a two-hour show. It can't be done. So, you know, we got to have the third hour. So uh, they said, look, you got to deliver the numbers. And we did. And that's thanks to you guys. We delivered the numbers and then some. So we got the third hour. So anyway, he's doing this three-hour podcast. He's doing his other two podcasts every week. He's getting married. He's closing on a house. He's working 40 hours a week for the man. Okay? Rich is a very busy man. And he has been a very busy man. And you know what? I tell you what. Uh, you know, he might deserve a couple weeks off. I mean, he, you know, running this site is like a full-time job. He does all the back-end stuff for the site. Uh, you know, Rich Krejci deserves a lot of credit. A lot of credit. For all the hard work that he's done. On a day-to-day basis, there's a lot going on with this site and his real life. So, good for him. He's got a house now. Now he's got a whole new bevy of problems. He's got a mortgage bill due every month. Shit's going to start falling apart on him. He'll see. He'll see. But good for him. So no Rich this week. So you're stuck with me. And we got a lot to get to. This is going to be a good show. Oh, this is going to be a good show. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. We're going to break down the G1 blocks. We've got some potentially exclusive news on a couple different talents. WWE related. If you've seen me on our message board or on Twitter hinting around, it's sniffing out a rat. 
I think I've successfully tracked down a story that some people are privy to, but everyone's afraid to report. I'm going to talk about it later on this show. And it involves a good friend of ours, our pal Cody Rhodes. So we'll get into that towards the back end of the show where things always get weird. Um, Some news on some other people, some Johnny Gargano news to pass along that I haven't seen reported anywhere else. Of course, I'm recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. So, of course, the Observer will probably... This is what's going to happen. I'll tell you guys what's going to happen right now. I'm walking around. I'm pacing around recording this show. So as you guys know, I, I stand and pace when I record this thing. I get excited. It's a big time show. And uh, I'm all excited because I think I got all these exclusive scoops for you this week. Here's what's going to happen. The Observer is going to come out while I'm recording this. And I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm over here puffing my chest like Dalton Castle. And uh, everyone's going to know all this stuff before they listen to the show. That's exactly what's going to happen. And people are going to think I'm like some goofball who's just stealing scoops from the Observer. That's that's how this is going to play out. But, you know, I listen, I got a show planned and I'm going to go I'm gonna move forward with it. Maybe this stuff will turn out to be exclusive. Who knows? So let's see. What do we got going on? Shockingly, there's no ad reads this week. So you're spared of that. I know you guys don't like the ad reads. This is usually the part of the show where we do the ad reads. Got to understand it's a necessary part of the show. It's a necessary part of growth. Um, We try to make them as entertaining as possible. We try. But there are no ad reads this week. So all I'll say on that front is go to the website, voicewrestling.com. Across the banner, you'll see a little button that says Affiliates. A little drop box will come down. You'll see Amazon. You'll see WWE Shop. All you need to do, if you want to support the show, click one of those links. If you're going to shop at Amazon, who doesn't shop at Amazon? Every single person listening to this shops at Amazon. And if you say you don't, you're lying. And if you don't, why don't you? Okay? So the little drop box comes down. You go to Amazon. You click that. You shop as usual. You forget you ever clicked it. We get a little kickback. It works for everybody. You don't pay any extra. It's, you know, if you have any, if you have Amazon Prime, any of that, all that can't, you know, you just shop as you usually shop. We get a little kickback. That's all. And those little kickbacks make a big difference and they keep the site running. They keep the site running. So we have a lot of problems with the site over the last few weeks. That's because of you guys. You're overblowing us with traffic. That's what happened last week. We had so much traffic on the site that our host kept shutting us down. Because, you know, and we need to upgrade to the next package. So, the, you know, that's the cost of doing business. So every little bit helps. Every little bit helps to help us uh, keep the site up and running. Go to Amazon. Click the WWE shop link. If you plan on buying anything from there, if you want your, uh, you know, if you want the latest Carmella t-shirt, you know, go to WWE shop and uh, click our link and purchase it from there. Because, I mean, who wouldn't want a Carmella t-shirt? You know what I mean? She's a tremendous moonwalker, from what I understand. So, boy, was that a mistake. So, for people who have no idea what I'm talking about, I uh, I was watching NXT, and Carmelo, look, anyone who follows our Twitter feed or listens to this show, I, I, she seems like a nice girl. And she's, from by all accounts, she works really hard. But that gimmick has got to go. The, it's got to go. It's not working for her. It feels forced. And the moonwalking is just so cringy. It's just the cringiest shit 
when she busts out that moonwalk. And, um, you know, I I should have never tagged her in the tweet because I knew what was going to – it's like you know what's going to come. So it's like even if she hadn't responded to the tweet, you get all these weird like Tumblr fans, you know, these people who like these diva Tumblr fans and these WWE universe types and, you know, they all got to pile in with their really lame memes and, and gifts, you know. It's uh, and, and I mean, Carmelo's response to me wasn't even clever or funny. I mean, she based she said "mind ya business," and then it was like an emoji of a hand. Mind ya business, like mind y a business. Well, see, here's the thing, Carmela. It is my business. I'm running a website over here where we critique wrestling, so it is my business. Okay. Your matches stink, and your moonwalking stinks. What do you want from me? This is my business. People follow my Twitter account to hear me talk about wrestling and to give my opinions. So it is my business. It's a horrible response. I mean, geez. But I will say, I will say, it only lasted for about half a day. She doesn't quite have the following that Cody Rhodes has because when Cody Rhodes made up his nonsense about uh, him rejecting our autograph request or whatever that was. Oh, my God. Our mentions didn't stop for like three days. And that's what I was afraid was going to happen here with Carmella, but apparently she doesn't have the same social media reach that Cody Rhodes does, which surprises me because the Divas usually do. The Divas have very devoted followings, but hers died down after about half a day. The mentions from Cody Rhodes, I mean, those didn't stop for like three days. It was just, it was, it was, it was, it was incredible. Just nonstop. Um, so yeah, that was our, uh, little mini, I wouldn't even call it a controversy. It was no big deal, but, uh, that, that's the deal with Carmella. But I mean, you know, her response was silly. It is my business. It's, of course it's my business, you know? And I, and I tell you this, tell you what, she's not getting on the main roster with that gimmick. I mean, I'd be, I'd be surprised. It's just not... It, it's very clearly not her. She needs to do something else, you know. Yeah, it, you know, I'm rooting for her. She seems like a nice girl, but uh, you know, and the moonwalking is just, just awful. It's just bad stuff. Um, so let's see. What do we got to talk about? What are we going to open up with? I guess I should plug the. Well, I told you I wasn't going to do an ad read, and I ended up uh, plugging the affiliates anyway. So uh, I lied to you once on this show. So I'm going to plug something else too. If you go to the website right now and you go to our forum, okay, go to the forum. we got a new project going on, which everyone's excited about. Everyone involved with the site is excited. We've teamed up with placetobenation.com, and we're doing a project to, uh, to determine the top 50 Ring of Honor wrestlers of all time. Now, this involves the official name is The Honor Roll. ROH's 50 Greatest Wrestlers Ever. That's the official name of the project. And it is the brainchild of the Falcon, Mikey Falcone, friend of the site, contributor to the site now. Falcon's picks once a month. He tells you what to watch. The underrated gems on the WWE Network, Falcon's picks. Go on the website, run a search, check out his articles. They're tremendous. I've watched some of those matches. He's opened even my eyes to a lot of matches. And, you know, I've... I mean, shit, I'm, you know, I watch everything. And, you know, he unearthed some stuff that I didn't even know was decent. But uh, this was the brainchild of, of Mikey Falcone, basically. And, you know, a shameless copy 
of the uh, greatest wrestler ever project that was done over on uh, pro wrestling, the pro wrestling only website. That's where, uh, where Mikey got the idea. And, um, you know, they're in on this too. This is a collaboration between, uh, voices of wrestling place to be nation and the, uh, pro wrestling only, um, message board as well. So it's basically structured like that. Uh, slightly different. Anyone who's a member of our forum, can go into the honor roll ROH's 50 Greatest Wrestlers Ever subforum and nominate any wrestler that stepped into a ring of honor ring. All you have to do to nominate them is start a thread. It's all you have to do. So, listen, if you think Azrael deserves a conversation as one of the 50 greatest ring of honor wrestlers of all time, you go right to forums, you sign up, you start a thread for Azrael, and you make your case. Everyone will make fun of you, will laugh at you, will call you stupid, but hey, you can nominate them. And then when it comes time to vote six months from now, you can vote for them. You can stick them on your list of the top 50, okay? I'm looking right now. We got a thread for cheeseburger. You want to take a guess who started the cheeseburger thread? I think everybody knows who started the cheeseburger thread. Of course, it was Dylan Hales. We've got a thread for, um, let, let's see, what are the hot threads right now? Who's, who's garnering the most discussion? The Mike Bennett thread was a hot thread. The Brian Danielson thread is up to two pages. We've got a thread for Dragon Soldier B. We've got a thread for John Walters. So people are digging deep here. Someone had the guts to start a Xavier thread. The infamous uh, former ROH world champion. And of course, all the top names too. Your El Genericos, your Brian Danielsons, your Austin Aries, Nigel McGuinness, Samoa Joe, all the guys that figure to finish very high in the poll, whether it's Homicide or whoever else, Davey Richards, uh, Big Mike Elgin. So, uh, you know, but look, go through it. If you see somebody missing that you think you might vote for, all you have to do is nominate them and start a thread. And then, you know, we all argue about it. So if you're feeling passionate one way or the other on Frankie Kazarian... You go into the Frankie Kazarian thread and you make your case. It's a lot of fun. It should be a lot of fun. We're also going to do uh, top 10 non-wrestlers. There's going to be an offshoot list for managers, ring announcers, valets, bookers, whatever the case may be. So you can go ahead and nominate those uh, those type of people as well. I'm looking at a thread for Becky Bayless, as a matter of fact. Gabe Sapolsky has a thread. Julius Smokes. Who doesn't love Julius Smokes? How tremendous was that guy? I mean, he was no Prince Nana. Prince Nana, to me, is one of the most wasted talents in ring. I mean, that guy should have gone places. He still should go places. He had a tremendous manager. You know? Who do you think will win the non-wrestler vote? I think it's going to be Larry Sweeney. And I think off the top of my head, he'd be my number one vote. It'd be tough between Larry Sweeney and Prince Nana. Because I'll tell you, this only, you know, only the Ring of Honor work is to be considered, right? So a lot of Larry Sweeney's good stuff was outside of Ring of Honor. I mean, he was tremendous in Ring of Honor as well. Sweet and Sour Inc. Uh, but Prince Nana, I, I think it's neck and neck for me between Larry Sweeney and Prince Nana. Prince Nana at the peak, the you know, peak embassy was some great stuff. And even the later incarnations of the embassy, which were kind of shitty, with like Necro Butcher and Eric Stevens. Remember that? The, uh, the HD Net era embassy, which was basically trash. But Prince Nana was still excellent. And every now and, you know, he pops up now and he's excellent. You know? And I mean, you know, it's, uh, 
it's Prince Nana. So anyone who, you know, who signs an autograph for Rich and it says "Too Rich the Pussy," I mean, come on, I, you know, that bu- that's got to bump them up at least one spot on everybody's list. And it's that is a great story. I don't know which is the better story. Rich giving Prince Nana a hard time at ringside, so Prince Nana handing him an eight by ten that says "Too Rich the Pussy," or Case Low the young boy for no good reason digging a $20 bill out of his pocket walking up to a very confused Tomohiro Ishii and handing him a $20 bill while Tomohiro Ishii was very confused and didn't understand why this young American boy was handing him a crisp 20 I don't know which story I like better you know Ishii's looking at the gimmick table like what do you want a picture I don't you know what do I do no, Case just wanted to, he said, look, I like your work. Here's a $20 bill, sir. Which I mean, Case, you know, you bought a ticket to the show. You already supported the man. You don't need to be handing him, you know, what is it, the Mexico gimmick? What he should have done in that case, he should have balled up the 20 and like thrown it at him. But then Ishii might have got mad and like came over and like delivered a headbutt, which really would have put that over the top and made it the best story of all time. Could you imagine if Tomohiro Ishii, he throws the $20 bill at Ishii. Ishii thinks he's having an object thrown at him, and he physically attacks the young boy, Case Low. We would have had an international incident and a dead young boy. It would have been tremendous. And he would have been dead right in front of his mother, because his mother brought him to the show. Because remember, he is a child. He's literally a child. He was born like 15 minutes ago. He's literally a child. That would have been tremendous. But yeah, so check out the forum. Nominate your favorites. I'm not making either of those stories up, by the way. Rich received an 8x10, unsolicited, unsolicited from Prince Nana that said, too rich to pussy. And Case Low really gave Tomohiro Ishii $20 for no reason. He didn't purchase anything from him. He didn't ask for a picture. He handed the man a $20 bill and he walked away. Much to the confusion of Ishii, much to the confusion of Rich, much to the confusion uh, to the ROH talent who um, you know, who will not be named that was having the conversation with Rich. V- everyone was confused. No one understood. I still don't understand. Case tried to explain it, but I, it still makes no sense to me. He just randomly handed the man a $20 bill. I mean, listen, Case, when we meet, you, you're more than welcome to hand me a $20 bill. I won't reject it either, and I won't give you an 8x10 either. Unless you want one. I'm I'm kind of thinking maybe Joe Lanza should have some eight by tens. That's not a bad idea, right? Now my mind's working. So yeah, check out the form for that. The honor roll ROH's fifty greatest wrestlers presented by Voices of Wrestling, Place to Be Nation, and Pro Wrestling Only. The brainchild of one Mister Mikey Falcone. What are we going to start with today? What are we going to start with? Uh, we're going to do some more Roman Reigns. I wasn't going to do Roman Reigns, but I, I guess it, it, it's, it demands talking about. Um, well, you know, we all wondered how they were going to handle Roman and the wellness suspension on Raw. And they handled it in a very bizarre fashion. For the first time, I believe ever, and you guys can help me out with this if it's incorrect information, but I think for the first time ever, they publicly acknowledged a wellness violation on one of their on their television programming. And the opening segment of Raw was basically Seth Rollins running down Roman for failing the wellness test, which came off to me like the company just pouring salt in the wound 
and being annoyed with Roman and really just rubbing it in to embarrass him is what it felt like to me. And it felt like the promo was intended sort of to put heat on, on Rollins, but the crowd sort of, they, they cheered. And they booed every mention of Roman. So it didn't work from that perspective. But as it turns out, Pro Wrestling Torch reported today that Vince McMahon's plan when Roman returns is to use the wellness violation as a storyline device and create a storyline where it puts sympathy on Roman and he thinks this will be the key to turning around crowds to where he no longer gets mixed reactions and the fans get fully behind him. This plan, of course, is mental and it's not going to work. Um, with all of the booking mistakes that they've made with Roman, the, the, the key overriding booking mistake they've made with this guy is that they've constantly tried to put sympathy on him, whether it's being screwed by the authority, screwed by Seth Rollins. Um, you know, it, it's always, you know, his, his, his never-ending chase for the title, and, and, you know, then he wins the title, and somehow it gets yanked away from him, and you're supposed to feel bad for Roman. The dramatic shot of Roman laying on his back in the ring after he had the title stolen from him and the confetti's falling. We, it's, it's always about putting sympathy on Roman, and that hasn't worked at all. It hasn't worked at all. He's not that kind of babyface. As I've been preaching for years on this show, what Roman needs to be is a straight-up ass-kicker. A straight-up ass-kicker. A take-no-names, I-am-going-to-beat-your-ass. I think he sells too much. I think uh, fans don't want to feel sympathetic towards him. I think fans will get behind him. Your best chance of getting fans behind him is if he's a, a, a just a straight-up ass-kicker in the Bill Goldberg Ultimate Warrior mold, as someone put it on Twitter earlier today. And I'd love to give him credit, but I don't remember who it was. And I'm not looking at Twitter. So whoever that was, I apologize. But that's that's what he needs to be. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin didn't sell for 80% of his matches. Stone Cold Steve Austin... Um, you know, he went up against an authority figure, but you know how many times did he deliver stunners to Vince McMahon and and get the better of Vince McMahon and beat him up. And Vince McMahon looked like an idiot at all turns in that feud. Roman Reigns constantly looked like a fool and was constantly undermined and outsmarted by the authority because they've been trying to put sympathy on this man this whole time and it hasn't worked. So I don't know why Vince McMahon thinks putting sympathy on Roman Reigns in this situation with the wellness violation, is all of a sudden going to work. Roman Reigns is going to return to Raw, and he's going to come down to the ring, and the fans are going to chant steroids at him. I mean, that's what's going to happen. He's still going to get booed. He's still going to get his mixed reaction, because he does get a mixed reaction. Kids like him. There's some women that, you know, are hot for him. And the rest of the people, he gets booed out of the building. And it's not playful, you know, 
it's not playful kind of booing. It's we genuinely don't want to watch you perform booing, which is the worst kind. It's go-away booing that he receives from people who just aren't interested in seeing him perform. And that's this, this you know, again, trying to put more sympathy on Roman Reigns, I don't believe that's going to work. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked for years. Why is it all of a sudden going to work now? You know, this was a good opportunity to turn him heel. We all knew they weren't going to do it, but it was a good opportunity to finally do it. It was a good excuse. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to continue to cheer Seth Rollins and boo Roman Reigns when they go up against each other. This is, you know, they're just so stubborn with this Roman Reigns. And they're just digging themselves a bigger hole by, you know, being 100% behind this guy, but yet making it even more difficult by the terrible booking decisions and the terrible decisions that they make with him. My personal belief, like I talked about last week, he just doesn't have what it takes to be a tippy-top guy. I just don't, I don't think, I don't think it really matters how you book him. You can book him exactly how I'm laying it out, and I, I still don't think he'd get to where they think he's, he has the potential to get, just because he, I don't think he's an alpha and all those other things. But, um, but, but what they're doing is really working against him. And it'll continue to work against him. I don't think that that plan is going to work at all. So that was the Roman Reigns news that uh, that broke a little earlier before I started recording. So I wasn't planning on talking about that, but I felt it was newsworthy. And that tied into what we talked about a little bit last week, and it deserves some mentioning. So what we'll do is we'll... Uh, I think we'll transition right into uh, the G1 and break down these G1 brackets. So, here's what we got. Overall, with the G1, this is a deeper field than we've seen in recent years, but not as top-heavy. And what I mean by that is they've cut a lot of the fat. Um, Hiroshi Tenzan has finally been sent to Nakanishi land, and has finally been removed from the G1. Yujiro Takahashi will not be in the G1 this year. Um, many of us feared that Tangaloa would be part of the field. He is not. Many of us feared that Yoshitatsu would be part of the field, and he is not. So they have cut a lot of the fat. The problem is, there is also not going to be the three men who are now plying their trade for World Wrestling Entertainment, that being Shinsuke Nakamura, AJ Styles, and Kota Obushi. And those are three heavy hitters who, you know, have match of the year caliber bouts in this tournament on a yearly basis, and they're gone. So you lose a little bit at the very top, but they also cut some fat from the very bottom, and the people that they've replaced them with are all pretty decent. So what we have is super deep blocks that may not have the peak potential that we've seen in past years, but you're also going to have a lot less shit. Doc Gallows is another guy who will not be in it this year, who had been in it. And Doc Gallows, in my opinion, has been the worst G1 performer over the last two years. He's been the worst. So that's addition by subtraction, too. I think he's been worse than Yujiro. 
Yujiro, you know, he's always on the first half of the show before the intermission. His matches are kept short. And no, he's not a great wrestler, but his matches are largely inoffensive. So, uh, Doc Gallows just had flat-out terrible matches in this tournament. He's just not a good pro wrestler. Certainly not fit for, for, you know, New Japan and the G1, where, where in recent years at least, it's been all about having great matches. He's just not that kind of wrestler. So anyway, I'll quickly run down the blocks. Block A, Togi Makabe, um, Satoshi Kojima, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroki Goto, Bad Luck Fale, Tamatanga, Sanada, Naomichi Marafuji, Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Okay. A lot going on in this block, a lot to break down. Number one, Marafuji comes in from Noah, and let me tell you, a lot of people are down on Marafuji. He's not the wrestler he was 10 years ago. He's very chop-happy in a lot of his matches, but let me tell you, he's going to deliver in the big matches. He's going to deliver against Okada. He's going to deliver against Tanahashi. And for the purposes of this, I'm just going to assume Tanahashi's healthy. If he's, if he's working, I'm assuming he's healthy. If he goes out there and has a bunch of bad matches because of his arm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be critical. But, I'm, but for the purposes of previewing the G1, I'm just going to assume health. If your name is on the sheet, I'm assuming health. Jimmy Connors said this once. Jimmy Connors was a great tennis player. And one of his quotes was, you know, concerning injuries as excuses and athletics and, uh, you know, uh, sports and whatnot. And his whole thing was, if you take the field, I don't want to hear about your injuries. Once you step between the lines, if you choose to step between, I don't want to hear about your injuries. And he's right. If you don't choose to participate, that's a different thing. All right, you're too hurt, you're banged up. But if you choose to play, then, you know, we need to criticize. You know, so if, if Tanahashi goes in there and he's hurt and he puts in bad performances, we got to call him out for having bad performances. But, uh, but for the purposes of this exercise, I'm just going to assume health because his name is on the sheet. So I think assuming health, I think he'll have a tremendous match with Marafuji. Marafuji is going to be a lot like Nakamura in the sense that he's going to take nights off when he's in there against guys like Tamatanga or Fale or whoever, Makabe. But when he's in a big spot in a main event or a semi-main event or they're working a big building, he's going to have his working shoes on and he's going to have good matches because he's still capable of having good matches. He's not nearly as bad as some people would have you believe. And of course, we're getting another Tanahashi Okada match, which I'm never going to say no to. I saw some people grumbling about that. Those people are nuts. Why would you not want to see these two guys who have had the best rivalry in professional wrestling over the last decade, uh, you know, save maybe Kevin Steen and El Generico, or Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, whatever they're called now, okay? With the exception of those two, maybe, maybe, it's close. I mean, Tanahashi and Okada's matches have been better. But overall, the, the owens Zayn feud has more layers and is more interesting and all those things. It's very close. But with the possible exception of those two guys, this is the best rivalry in wrestling over the last decade. And it's not like they don't go in there and have match of the years every time they wrestle each other. Who wouldn't want to see this? I mean, come on. You got to be pumped up. It's going to be in a big spot at the end of the tournament. It's probably going to determine the blind. It's going to be a great match. I'm all fired up over here. Okada Tanahashi, hell yeah, give it to me. 
So you got Marafuji, Okada, Tanahashi, Sonata, those four. Those four are going to make up sort of like, you know, Sonata's like the younger version of, of a lot of these. He might even be older than Okada, but you, you, he's sort of like these, uh, these guys that we're talking about. You know, he, he might be in that position soon. So he's, he's you know, he'll, I'm praying that the Los and Nobles matches in this tournament aren't gimmicky. And usually in the G1, they stay away from that stuff. So I don't think they will be. But so this is, I think Sonata could have good matches with those three guys. But then, like in the other half of this block, you have these bruisers who all work well together. Ishii, who might be the best wrestler in the world right now. Hiroki Goto, Togi Makabe, Satoshi Kojima, and throw Bad Luck Fale in there too. Because I think against these guys, you know, there's people in this block. Let's talk about Fale first. He has people in this block who he has good chemistry with. The one wrestler in the world who Bad Luck Fale might have the best chemistry with is Hiroshi Tanahashi. They have excellent matches together. And there's no reason to think they won't here. Another guy Fale has excellent chemistry with is Kazuchika Okada. They've also had good matches together. Not quite as good as the Tanahashi matches, but very good matches. Fale is a guy who can be carried, and he has people who can carry him in this block, including his two best opponents. There's some possibilities for some ugly Fale matches here. Don't get me wrong. Not looking forward to Fale Tamatanga. Not looking forward to Fale versus Makabe. But I am looking forward to Makabe, Kojima, Ishii, and Goto all facing each other. We know that Ishii and Goto have tremendous chemistry. They had a tremendous match last year, maybe the best match of the tournament. Kojima could have good matches with Ishii and Goto. We know that Makabe could have good matches with Ishii. So you got like the bruisers in half of that bracket. And then you've got sort of like the aces on the back end of the bracket. The aces and the future ace with Sonata. You know, the matinee idol aces. The good-looking world champion types with your Okadas and Tanahashis and Marafujis and Sonatas that bring a different element. And then the bruisers will face those guys and those will be good. Like Ishii will have a good match with everybody in this block. He will have a good match with every single person in this block. Ishii is really set up to be the MVP of the tournament because he's got those other bruisers to, 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 to go up against who he always has great matches with. And then he's got those main event level guys who he's going to have great matches. He, he's set up to have great matches with everyone in his block. And he's, and, 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 you know, he's easily one of the five best wrestlers in the world, maybe the best re- all-round wrestler in the world. So look for Ishii to have a great tournament. But I'll tell you one guy in this A block. This is a huge tournament for one person in particular. Huge tournament. Make or break. Tama Tonga. Tama Tonga needs to have a big time G1. He needs to have a big time G1. He has to have it. The tag team with Camacho was an abject failure. Or Tangaloa, whatever. It, it, a failure. It was an embarrassment at Dominion the lack of response they got. And Tama Tonga is aware of it because he made a series of tweets on Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. I think it was the middle of the night. Look him up on his timeline. Talking about how people are bashing him and more specifically bashing his brother and he's aware of it 
and he's not thin-skinned, and he's not letting it get to him, and he's just going to prove everybody wrong. He said a lot in that series of tweets. It leads me to believe that the Tangaloa era might actually be over in New Japan. Or at least, you know, downsized if he gets booked forward. They're certainly not going to be booked at the top like they were before. Certainly doesn't seem that way. Nah, it's not the vibe I got from the tweets. And I think that the failure of that tag team and the failure of Tamatanga's push so far, because let's face it, he has not been good. And everyone knows I was rooting for him. I've been calling for his push for two years. I think all of those things have now motivated him. He's excited about finally being in a G1 after six or seven years or whatever it is. And this is a very important tournament for him. And he has people in that block that he could have great matches with. Up and down the block. I mean, when you get an opportunity to wrestle Tomohiro Ishii, Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroki Goto, you get a chance to wrestle people like this, Satoshi Kojima, you could almost have great matches by accident. I'm fairly certain I can get in the ring with Tomohiro Ishii and have a two-star match. I, I, I mean... Look at the people he's working with. So there's a big tournament for Tamatanga. He needs he needs to step up big time, and I think he knows it, which is good. I think he's motivated to show people something, to prove people wrong now. Excellent block, though. Both blocks are excellent. Block B. Katsuyori Shibata, Yuji Nagata, Tomoaki Hanma, Big Mike Elgin, Toru Yano, Tetsuya Naito, Evil, Kenny Omega, uh, Katsuhika Nakajima, and Yoshihashi. Another excellent block. This one's not as top-heavy as the other block. Well, you know, I don't even know if that's fair. I, see, I, you know, I keep selling Block B short, but Block B is stacked. It's so deep. Especially... If Naito and Omega play this thing straight, this block could end up having more great matches than block A, if they play it straight. If Omega's going to be a goofball the whole time, I'm not interested in that. If Naito is going to have, you know, Bushi doing his bidding every night, I'm not interested in that. But if they play it straight, those guys are capable of excellent matches every night. And they have the right people in the block to do it with. Shibata, always a big-time G1 player, always has great matches. Tomoaki Hanma, maybe, you know, he was a top G1 performer last year, and you know he's going to have good matches here as well. Mike Elgin, the surprise performer last year. And I am going to pat myself on the back. I was one of the very few voices... That said, he was going to have a big G1 when everyone else was ripping the decision. You can't find those people with a search party now. But when everybody else was ripping the decision to put him in the G1 and they said, Mike Elgin stinks, he's terrible, laugh out loud New Japan, laugh out loud Michael Elgin, he's di-. and he was the breakout performer of the tournament, just like I said he would be. And now he, he's a burgeoning star in New Japan and he's going to have a big tournament here too. 
And of course, you got Naito and Omega that I talked about. Nakajima getting a big opportunity. I think everyone was excited when they saw Nakajima. Not only that, we're going to get a Nakajima Shibata match. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And of course, Yoshihashi finally getting the big G1 opportunity. Finally. And let me tell you something. Big Mike Elgin was the breakout performer of the G1 last year. Yoshihashi is going to be your breakout G1 performer this year. Lock it up. Book it. Send it in. Yoshihashi will be your breakout performer of this year's G1. I talked about motivation with Tamatanga. Yoshihashi is a guy who is motivated. He wants this. You see how hard he works. You see how hard he works when he's just the fall guy for chaos in their tag team matches. Showing fire, working his ass off. He's got this feud with Sonata, which I'm disappointed they're in opposite blocks. And I'll talk about you know, that in a minute, some of the changes I would have made. But this feud with Sonata has sort of lit a fire under him. And he had that great emotional moment at Dominion. When he beat Sonata while Ishii was choking out Bushi. Just a great moment. One of those reasons that you love wrestling. And this guy's fired up. And he's, and you know what? Again, he's set up with the right people to have great matches with. You give me a Yoshihashi Hama match. And I think that's in Cork and Hall. If I'm not mistaken. I mean, that's sick. In front of that crowd? Yoshihashi Mike Elgin, they had a four-star match in last year's G1 on the final night. Just a random one-off singles match, which New Japan doesn't do often. But last year they did this one-off singles match. Mike Elgin versus Yoshihashi, they had a four-star match. Legitimate four-star match. So they'll rematch. He'll have a great match against Nakajima. He'll have great matches working as an underdog, which is his specialty, against Naito and Omega and Shibata. He's really set up to have a great... He's going to be your breakout performer. It's set up perfectly for him. Much in the same way it's set up for Ishii to be the MVP of the tournament. My only gripe with this block is Yano sort of slithered his way back in from Noah. Now look, I get it. Yano brings something different to the table, and I understand that. And I, you know that's, that's all well and good. I don't have any problem with that. It's just not for me. I don't, you know, it's it's fine. But like by night five, I'm kind of tired of it. So I kind of wish that might have been someone else. But I, how hard can I gripe? Look at the rest of that block. I mean, there's almost no dead weight in this tournament up and down. This is the deepest field they've had in years because there's no dead weight. I mean, when the worst people in the tournament are Bad Luck Fale, who can be carried. He'll have some bad matches here. Bad Luck Fale will have bad matches against Togi Makabe, and he'll have a bad match against Tamatanga. But he has a chance to have a good or great match against everybody else. A couple of them will deliver, and a couple of them won't. He's going to go about, you know, he'll go about 50%. He'll have four or five good matches. He'll have four or five stinkers. Makabe is a question mark against some of these guys. He's not a great worker and never was. But he's another guy. Half the time he'll step up and have a great match, and half the time he won't. 
And in block B, you've got Yano. But Yano is going to do his his thing. He's going to do his routine. So it won't be that bad. None of his matches are going to go longer than eight minutes. And but other than that, this is very very deep. You're just not going to have those night in, night out match where there's one of the best in the world going up against another guy who's one of the best in the world because you lost three of the best in the world from the previous you know two or three years. And you also lost Carl Anderson, who is an excellent singles wrestler and always delivered in the G1. So he's a loss too. Much easier to replace him with people like Sonata and Evil. Those are good replacements for a guy like Carl Anderson. What they aren't able to replace is AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Kota Ibushi. You can't replace that. Naomichi Marafuji and Nakajima and, you know, Sonata and Evil and Omega... These guys all bring something to the table. And, and if Omega plays it straight, I think Omega is one of the best wrestlers in the world. I think if Omega plays it straight, he can give you very close to AJ Styles-like quality in his singles matches. I really believe that. It shouldn't shock anyone that listens to this. I always put him over. I've been putting him over for years. But you can't replace all three of those guys. But what they did do was they cut out all the fat which helps mitigate that to some extent. It's going to be a very interesting tournament for that reason because almost every single matchup is going to be an interesting matchup that has a chance to be a really good match. So a couple of notes. I, you know, I'd prefer to see someone other than Yano. And if I could manipulate the blocks, one change I definitely would have made is I would have put Sonata and Yoshihashi in the same block. I would have liked to see them have a singles match in this tournament. So we'll see if they have a singles match maybe on the final night or on the next big pay-per-view. We'll see. But I would have liked to have seen them have a match in the tournament. As far as the tournament itself, I really think, um, you know, I agree with what most people are saying, that this was the best possible tournament that they realistically could have given us. It really is. I mean, you could always fantasy book these things and say, where's Daisuke Sekimoto? And, you know, where's... But, I mean... Realistically, with the pool of talent that they realistically had at their disposal, this was the best possible tournament they could have put together. And that's, look, that's not a unique opinion. A lot of people are saying that. And I just, I happen to agree with that. They did a good job trimming the fat. They did a good job adding the best possible pieces they could. I thought Nakajima was a very nice surprise. And, you know, Marafuji's divisive. And I know there's a lot of people who don't like him. And I know why they don't. And that's fine. But there's a lot of people do who still enjoy him, and I do think he'll step up and have good matches against a lot of these guys. He's smart, and he's a veteran, and he knows when to turn it up and when not to. Like I said, very similar to Nakamura in that sense, although he's not as good as Nakamura. He's not as good as Nakamura. I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not saying that. He was 10 years ago. In fact, he was better than Nakamura 10 years ago, and then Nakamura just, you know, got progressively better, and, and Marafuji's been going the opposite direction. But he can still step up when it matters. So yeah, very interesting field for the G1. Um, very excited about it. And it kicks off... Uh, hey, you know what? I don't have the date in front of me. You guys know when it starts. You don't need me to tell you. 
as far as the winner goes, you guys know I'm not big on predictions or things like that. I just, I don't know, I don't do that. I don't know. I mean, the favorites right now, obviously, Naito is the has got to be the odds-on favorite because everyone figures they're going to do Okada Naito at the Dome. So, uh, I did a little exercise on the message board where I ranked all 14 men who either have been removed from the G1 from last year or added this year. And then I sort of added up their rankings to determine which group was better. The group that left, the group that exited, or the group that, that, that's coming in. I had AJ Styles number one, Kota Ibushi number two, and Nakamura number three. So the three top guys, in my opinion, of the group of 14 were guys who, will, who were in the tournament last year and won't be this year. And, of course, some of you guys will disagree with these rankings, but it, it, it'll give you an idea. I've got Omega number four, Nakajima number five, Marafuji number six, Carl Anderson number seven, Sonata eight, Evil nine, Yoshihashi ten, Tamatanga eleven, Tenzan twelve, Yujiro thirteen, Doc Gallows 14. And then if you do, if you take their rankings and add them together, so in other words, AJ Styles is worth one point because I have him number one. And right down the line, Doc Gallows would be worth 14 points because he's ranked last. And you add up the two years, obviously the lower number would, would be the winner in this case, right? The 2015 people got a score of 52. The 2016 people got a score of 54. So the slightest of edge to the 2015 exiting participants as compared to the 2016 entering participants. Which is exactly how I figured it would work because, like I said, the top three guys in this this ranking are all from last year, but so are the bottom three with Tenzon, Yujiro, and Doc. And then the middle, everybody's kind of jumbled up. So... It's kind of a wash. It depends what you want in your tournament. If you're someone who cherry picks the best matches, you're going to prefer last year's field because you have all of those, you know, megastar matchups of super workers. If you're someone who's going to watch all the shows all the way through, you're going to maybe prefer this year's field because you're going to have a lot less, uh, you know, matches with shitty people involved with the deeper field. So it really comes down to preference in, in terms of that. Um, so yeah, but me and Rich will do a far more extensive preview of G1, um, you know, in the coming weeks. This, I just wanted to go over the blocks with you guys, give you my initial thoughts and whatnot. But in terms of predictions and how we think things are going to shake out and more detailed breakdowns of some of the main events and whatnot, I think we'll do a more detailed deal with that in the coming weeks because I think I'd like to get rich in the mix I think that'll be a better segment with both of us bouncing things off of each other rather than me just telling you what I'm excited about so uh, that's it for the G1 blocks so here's what we're going to do we're going to take a short break and then when we come back we're going to talk about Cody Rhodes and some other WWE news and notes we will be right back Joe Lanza back in just a moment here on Voices of Wrestling. Rob McCarron here. I just want to remind you to check out some of the other great podcasts on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network feed. You can get all of our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and much more. 
Check out Shake Them Ropes. Rob and Jeff new this week with Booker Gabe Sapolsky of Evolve and WWN Live talking the Cruiserweight Classic, the Evolve relationship with WWE, Cody Rhodes, and much more. A new Lucha of the Hidden Temple also up at the Voices of Wrestling podcast feed. You can find these podcasts and more again on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Downcast, Google Play, and more or at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Now back to Joe Lanza and the Voices of Wrestling podcast. So let's talk gossip. Scoops with a Z. Do a little gossip here in the second half of the show. There's a lot of moving and shaking in terms of roster acquisitions and comings and goings when it comes to WWE these days. More coming than going, actually. Um, And we're going to talk about six guys. And some of the things that we have been hearing through the grapevine, some things that have been reported, some things that haven't been. And the six names in question are Roderick Strong, Ricochet, Johnny Gargano, Zack Sabre Jr., Moose, and the main event of this segment, Cody Rhodes. There's a lot bubbling beneath the surface with several of these names, especially Cody Rhodes. And we'll get to him in a minute. But I'm just going to tell you everything I know about all these various situations. Some of it rumors, some of it gossip, some of it unconfirmed. I'll tell you, there was uh, reports last week of WWE chasing veteran names, scrambling to chase veteran names from the past with the... um, Impending roster split coming up. I guess they feel the need to... to, This I don't understand because the WWE roster is loaded. Loaded. They have a million guys under contract. Guys and girls. I don't understand this need to go after people. Like, some of the names I heard were patently absurd. Like, why would you want to bring Lance Storm back into the fold? Now, it's very possible they offered him, you know, another, you know, trainer's deal to move to Orlando or whatever. Um, and it might not have necessarily have been as a talent. But I mean, if they, you know, that's one of the names I heard floated around and it's like, why? What do you need Lance Storm for? I like Lance Storm, you know, uh, in the ring anyway. Um, but it's like, what do you need? You get a million people under contract. Give someone else a chance. You know, you get them. And I'm not just talking about nobodies. I'm saying you got people in NXT with real name value you can call up. And a lot of them probably will be called up. It looks like Finn Balor is finally going to be called up and maybe a few others, uh, possibly American Alpha, you know, just based on taping results. But, you know, it's bizarre. I actually reached out to um, one of the names that had been floating around as 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 a name from the past. Uh, who WWE might be bringing back in, and actually, it's a person who I think you know they they, sh- they should bring back in. To be perfectly honest with you, and uh, he completely blew me off. Now, what you have to understand is a lot of time. Look, wrestlers are always working to one extent or another. Always, always. But this guy completely blew me off. He laughed it off. Said it was nothing but goofy rumor, and he said. Um, you know, without giving away, because it would give away who it is potentially. I don't want people throwing guesses out there. But he said, look, the place I am right now, you could expect me to be there for a very long time. But with that said, 
you have to understand that a lot of time, if this person did receive an offer of some sort, um, well, let me just say this. The person didn't deny getting an offer. The person didn't deny getting an offer. But they laughed at they what they laughed at was the idea that they were that they were on their way back. Because I framed the question to the person in a, in such a way that hey, I heard you were headed back. Congratulations. Good for you. I hope it works out. Person laughed me off. Said, "Nah, I'm going to be where I'm at for a very long time." Again, that means nothing. The person could show up, you know, on Raw next week. But then as we got further in the conversation, did not deny that there was an offer. Because from what I understand, a lot of these offers to the veteran wrestlers have been lowball offers. And a lot of these guys who already have steady work, whether it be you know, consistently being booked on the indies or, or in most cases Japan, um, they're making more money what they're doing now than what WWE has been offering. They're sort of just... WWE is trying to get by very oftentimes, and this will come into play when we talk about one of the six people that I said we're going to discuss. They think that they can come in with these lowball offers because they are WWE and there's opportunity to make high six figures and seven figures if you move up the card. So they dangle the carrot, but they dangle that carrot. But the thing is, people have bills now too. <laughs> Some you know, people have. Uh, lifestyles, current lifestyles that need to be maintained as well. It's not easy to take pay cuts. It's not easy to take pay cuts. And I think what's happening with a lot of these veterans that they've chased is in some cases they're offering these men pay cuts. And you know, that's not going to get it done. So, you know, that's those, you know, Kurt Angle is another one who, you know, is a guy who's uh, they supposedly you know Triple H reached out to, but nothing's going to happen on that front. Not since the Jerry Lawler incident, which also feeds into person number one on my list here, Moose. Moose is a guy who, well, first of all, Moose talks too much. Moose has a problem with the lips. Okay, Moose. When he was, you know, still under contract with Ring of Honor, and I actually, I think he still is. Actually, I'm not positive about that though. Um, you know, he was already talking like he was one foot out the door. He's sending out Instagram pictures with 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 uh, with Apollo Cruz. He's hanging out backstage at NXT. He's thanking Ring of Honor for his time there. Meanwhile, he's a contracted wrestler for Ring of Honor, a direct, albeit insignificant, competitor to WWE, and he's kissing WWE's ass and hanging around backstage and basically saying, this is where I'm going. I mean, that, first of all, it's classless. Very disrespectful to your current employer. Who are a big reason why, you know, that, that was your launching pad to a potential WWE career. I mean, come on, Moose, you know. Smarten up. Show a little respect. But anyway, apparently he got flagged for a 2009 domestic incident 
domestic violence incident with a then-girlfriend or wife or whatever it was. I think it was a girlfriend. Back in his NFL days, which, by the way, Quinn Ojanaka was a ram, and a terrible ram. And I, it took me a long time. I'm a Rams fan. A proud Los Angeles Rams fan. Back to L.A. I'm very happy about that, by the way. 19 years in St. Louis. Okay? Baseball town. The only time they supported the Rams were when the Rams were good. You know, they, no one wanted you couldn't You couldn't give away Rams tickets the last 10 years or so when they've been lousy. That's a baseball town. And I grew up with the L.A. Rams. The late game on Sunday afternoon. Sun shining. Los Angeles. Jim Everett to Flipper Anderson. Henry Ellard. Eric Dickerson. My favorite NFL player of all time. When I was a little kid. Cried when he got traded on Halloween. Ruined a Halloween for me when I found out he got traded. I'm in my little vampire outfit. I got my vampire gimmick on. I'm at my grandmother's house. My uncle breaks the news to my father. I overhear it. I'm like, what do you mean he got traded? The Colts. I'm a little kid. I was probably eight or nine years old. I had never experienced one of my sports heroes leaving one of my teams. It traumatized me. I couldn't go trick-or-treating. Devastated. Sitting there with my cape, my little fangs, my little vampire gimmick. I'll never forget it. Kevin Green sacking Joe Montana. L.A. Rams. In the 80s, man. That's what I grew up on. No no Sunday NFL ticket in those days. You know, these spoiled brats like Case Lowe today who don't know a world without the NFL Sunday ticket. Okay? When I was a little kid, you know what I had to do to follow the Rams? Because I lived in New Jersey, obviously. I had the, you know, I when the schedule would come out, right? You check the schedule to see if they were playing the Giants or the Jets. That's the first thing you do. Because you know those games are going to be on TV locally in New Jersey. So like, all oh, right, they're playing the Giants week six, you know? So you'd be like, yeah, they're, they're playing the Giants October 23rd. And you'd wait all fucking fall for October 23rd because you finally have a chance to watch your team. So maybe I'd see the Rams, you know, if I was lucky, three or four times a season. And when they were good, like... Yeah, they were good in those days, in the 80s. First under John Robinson, with Eric Dickerson, that era, and then later on, you know, with Jim Everett, Flipper Anderson, Henry Ellard, Kevin Green, those teams, the late 80s. So, event, you, you know, you'd get a couple, uh, you know, Monday night games as well. Of course, I'd fall asleep in the third quarter. But, you know, you'd get the Monday night, you get a couple Monday night games, and you get a couple Sunday night games. I'll never forget I think it was either 1988 or 1989. Okay, I think it was 89, actually. Rams were beating the Niners like 24-3 to on Monday Night Football, late third quarter. I fell asleep. I fell asleep. I woke up. Didn't put on ESPN or that, you know. It, it, it Went to the bus stop. Swagger walking to the bus stop in my L.A. Rams sweatshirt. You know what I mean? We just beat the 49ers. Fuck Joe Montana. Fuck Jerry Rice. Everybody's laughing at me. 49ers came back in the fourth quarter. Three touchdowns in the fourth. Two 90-plus yard touchdowns, I think, to uh, to Jerry Rice. Came back and beat the Rams in the fourth quarter. I'm going to look up that game when we're done. I'm sure, yeah. I, I, it, 
some of the details might be off, but I know there were two really long touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, Montana to Rice, or it might have been Montana to uh, John Taylor. Had no idea, fell asleep in the third quarter. Terrible times for a young Joe Lanza, thinking he's the hot shot at the bus stop the next day. So anyway, Quinn Ojanaka, of course, Moose, he played for the Rams a couple years ago. Terrible Ram, awful player. It was hard for me to get that stink out of my mouth when he became a wrestler. So I was real hard on the guy. But uh, he had a domestic violence uh, incident, and that got flagged. So, um, you know, now there's just weird work-shoot thing going on from what people are telling me. But all I know is Moose is all over Twitter just saying stupid things pretty much every day. He's an idiot. Unless that's part of his greater work, but I don't get the sense that it is. Um, I just don't like the fact that he disrespected Ring of Honor on the way out. That, that you know. And, of course, he did a big job on the pay-per-view. He ate the Meltzer driver and got pinned by the Bucks. So it looks like they're planning on him departing. The, the, the fact of the matter is Moose is going to end up in WWE at some point once all this stuff cools down. Which is kind of sad to say, you know. It's like, once all this domestic violence nonsense cools down, it's domestic violence. You know, I mean, I have no idea what happened with Quinn Ojanaka in 2009, you know, because you never do know. And you got to be very careful about these things. We did it when we talked about the Hanma story. I thought we were very fair with it. And we got, you know, a lot of people told us that we were very fair covering the Hanma thing last year, Um, which, you know, it appears, it turns out, it appears to be nothing Um, or unsubstantiated. But the same thing here. I mean, you, you hate to throw things around. Because uh, you don't know. Nobody was there, and it was 2009, and you know, I'm not privy to the inner workings of the case. I don't know whether he slapped around his girlfriend or not. I have no idea. But the fact of the matter is it's still kind of weird that, you know, with this Lawler thing, right? And, and who knows with him, too. Although, with Lawler, I don't like the fact that he already changed his story like three times. He He told the police one story, and then when he did that PR phone call from jail to the Memphis news station, he told them a completely different story. You know, it's like, when you change your story, it makes, you know, your credibility kind of takes a hit. But it's kind of weird, like, ah, we'll let this domestic violence stuff blow over. It should be treated a little more seriously, right? I mean, I'm a guy who believes in second chances, but if, you know, you're if you're a woman beater, I'm not so sure if, you know, that might be one where you might not necessarily deserve a second chance. I don't know if I want... If I would want my publicly traded company employing a woman beater and then, uh, you know, the guy main events WrestleMania someday and gets in trouble WrestleMania weekend for slapping a hooker around and, you know, you've got yourself a terrible situation on your hands because you chose to hire someone who was potentially a terrible person. But then again, this is the same company that, you know, employed Stone Cold Steve Austin long after his problems in those areas. So... Point being, I think Moose is eventually going to end up in the company. So that's person number one. Who's next? Who's next? How about Roderick Strong? That one seems pretty cut and dry. He finished up at Ring of Honor on their last pay-per-view, and he is WWE bound, from what I understand. From all the information I have, he is WWE bound. Roderick Strong. Was not booked on the G1. He appears to be finishing up his dates with uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Um, TNA 
who were interested in Moose and are, and still are. I mean, Moose, it's, it's not like he signed with WWE, but it looks like he's going to wait around. It looks like they've told him they're going to wait around. TNA was interested in Roderick Strong as well. But here's the thing. TNA is throwing these big money offers at people, including a big money offer at Ricochet. The problem is it's, un, it's, it's an unstable situation. To, to, to work for um, TNA because they can go under at any time. I mean, they just had Billy Corgan, you know, bail them out so that they can, you know, do their tapings, you know, 48 hours before they were scheduled. So, yeah, they can offer you a six-figure deal, but are you going to see the money? I, co- I compare it to NFL contracts, which are non-guaranteed, and, and you see on the news that such-and-such such NFL player signed a $78 million deal, $30 million guaranteed. It's like, he's probably only going to see the $30 million because the deals aren't guaranteed and the guy's going to turn 30 and his play's going to decline and they're going to cut him. And all the money is backloaded to when these guys are in their mid to late 30s and they never see that money because they don't play that long. That's kind of the danger with signing a TNA contract right now. You might not see the money so that's a big problem. So even if TNA is offering you, say, $100,000 a year, and WWE is offering you $45,000 a year, and you have to move into an apartment in Orlando and room with Lindsay Dorado, you know, the apartment in Orlando rooming with Lindsay Dorado at forty-five k is probably you know, the more stable opportunity because you're with a far more stable company and the opportunity exists to get promoted to the main roster if you're if you're someone on this level that may not be appealing to the veterans we talked about earlier but for someone in a position like Roderick Strong and I don't know this to be the case I'm just using him as the example here $100,000 from TNA versus $45,000 from WWE is a tougher decision than a veteran who's making a good living overseas Versus coming back to WWE to work in a prelim role for less money and then probably get cut in a year after you put over all the NXT guys. So let's talk Ricochet. I happen to have seen the offer that he had on the table from Lucha Underground. And more specifically, it was an offer from above Lucha Underground. It was a guaranteed deal from the network, similar to the old way the WCW uh, um, deals were structured, where you got a deal from Turner, which is why when WCW went under and all those big-name WCW wrestlers just sat home and collected money because they had guaranteed contracts from Turner, not from WCW. And, of course, the famous story of Booker T taking the pennies-on-the-dollar offer from WWE accepting the buyout and jumping right to WWE television, which ended up being a very savvy and intelligent move by Booker T. Because he went on to have, you know, a decade-plus-long career, very successful main eventer at times run in WWE, and made far more money than he would have sitting home on his Turner deal, where he may have been ultimately forgotten. But as it was, he took the deal from WWE, went on TV, 
and didn't have to compete with the Ric Flairs and the Hulk Hogan's and the Kevin Nash's because those guys were sitting home. So he was the only one who ended up, you know, on TV. And it worked out for him great. But anyway, that's the similar deal of Ricochet. This would have been a very, very lucrative deal for him. Would have changed his financial situation. Would have been a a life-changing financial situation for him. Six-figure deal. Well into the six figures. To stay with Lucha Underground at guaranteed money. Because that show is no guarantee. That show is always on thin ice. But this would have been guaranteed money. They really believed in Prince Puma. To offer him that kind of money. This Lucha Underground is not going to go down without a fight. It's very obvious. But he finished up at the latest Lucha Underground tapings. He's done. Well, he appears to be done. He lost a Loser Leaves Town match or whatever the gimmick was. Gave a farewell speech. And appears to be on his way to WWE. The problem is, he's not going to be able to start there until his contract runs out with Lucha Underground. And I believe that's a six-month period after your final season airs. So he just filmed the season three finale. So it wouldn't be until way like next year or even 2018 or something. I don't know the exact date. I think it's late 2017 where he can legally work for the competition. So until that time, he's going to bide his time on the indies and New Japan and he'll, he'll be doing just fine. And then at that point, he's free to do whatever he wants to do. Now, a lot can change between now and the end of 2017, but I fully expect him... For him to turn down the amount of money and the amount of years he was offered by Lucha Underground, it's it's he's got to have it's got to be WWE for him. It has to be. And actually, the years that he was offered by Lucha Underground may have been a deterrent, because again, then you're you know you're locked in for a very long time. And he's a guy who's getting into his late twenties now, but he appears to be done with Lucha Underground. He finished up. Oh, uh, spoiler alert. Sorry. Uh, next up. Zack Sabre Jr. This is a funny one because I've gotten <laughs> from three very good sources, three people I trust, three completely different stories on Zack Sabre Jr. So I'm going to give you all three stories and you guys can pick and choose and weed through it and decide what you want to believe when it comes to Zack Sabre Jr. Story number one, we talked about Zack Sabre Jr. I think two or three weeks ago on the show when we previewed the Cruiserweight Classic, and I said that he's living in Orlando and has is, is 100% committed to latching on with WWE. I got an email from a good friend and someone who knows Zack Sabre Jr., and that person told me, bullshit, he doesn't live in Orlando. You guys got that wrong. So I wanted to come on and make sure I, I laid that out. He's not living in Orlando. I must have had bad information. And this person told me that he's not really all that hot on landing with WWE. But I said, okay, all right, fair enough. I thanked my buddy, told him I'd make sure I'd mention it on the show. We didn't get to it last week. I'm getting to it right now. So I know that guy's listening. Thank you very much for that information. Then this week... I get uh, someone slides into the DMs, as the kids like to say. And they're telling me, well, before I tell you that one, 
I got a text message yesterday from a promoter who said he tried to book Zack Sabre Jr. and Zack Sabre Jr. is not taking anything after September. How about that? There's a clue. September's a very key date, by the way. We'll talk about that when we talk about the next guy. So this promoter says, Zack Sabre Jr. is not taking anything after September. But then I had somebody slide into the DMs, as they say on the streets, and tell me now that Zack Sabre Jr. supposedly has heat with the NXT management. So again, this would classify as, as certainly as gossip, rumors. I'm not confirming that. But that's certainly what someone else had. Three completely different stories. One person, he doesn't live in the United States. He's not interested in WWE. One person saying he's not taking any bookings past September, which would be an indicator that WWE may have offered him something based on the information I'm about to give you on the next person on this list. And then I have a third person telling me he's got heat. So I, I, who the hell knows what's going on <laughs> with Zack Sabre Jr.? So basically, I just gave you nothing on Zack Sabre Jr. I gave you no information whatsoever. It's all over the board. And these are all sources I trust very much. And honestly, I don't think any of them are lying to me. I think they all, you know, think that that's valid information. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know, very tricky situation with Zack Sabre Jr. Johnny Gargano. I was told by two, well, actually now three. Yesterday it was two and then a third person. Three people who don't know each other. <laughs> which is, And two of them were within minutes of one another. So it's definitely going around. Um, they, they, what's making the rounds is that Johnny Gargano has signed a full-time WWE contract and finishes up on the indies in September. Again, September is a key date here for all this stuff. And again, he's not taking dates past September. I was also told that there is a tentative farewell to Gargano scheduled by WWN Live for September as well. The September 11th show is the date I was given. So it looks like Gargano, Johnny Wrestling, is finishing up on the indies at the end of the summer. And look, that one everyone figured was sort of a matter of time. But that's the story going around because I got that from three different people over the last two days. Same exact story. Hey, man, did you hear Gargano's finishing up in September? Uh, no. But then I heard it twice more in a span of like 12 hours. So, again, reliable sources. So, looks like Johnny Gargano is headed to WWE full-time. And good for him. He deserves it. And, of course, by proxy, uh, I, I, you know... Maybe some other people who are on those half and half deals have something cooking as well, but I can't, I don't, that I can't confirm. I don't know. Last guy on the list, the main event, let's talk about Cody Rhodes as we run through rumors and scoops with a Z. 
you know, it, it's a couple weeks ago, some some uh, some rumors started rumbling under the surface, and it wasn't really something worthy of talking about on this show, and really no one else has really been talking about it either. It's starting to come out a little bit in some places, but um, it's becoming more and more obvious to me that this entire Cody Rhodes situation is a work. Um, it, it's, and when I say the situation, I mean his asking for his release and being granted a release. Now, I have no doubts um, that... Here's the thing. How, how can I phrase this? I'm not even sure how to attack this. Um, here's what I was told a few weeks ago. And I kind of just blew it off and said, ah, it's an interesting theory, but who the hell knows. The working theory was Cody Rhodes' release was an under-the-table deal between him and Triple H to, you know, obviously Cody Rhodes, if you read his statement when he was released, talked about how he was frustrated that with the Stardust character and wanted to get away from that and kept getting dead-ended and hitting, you know, roadblocks with creative and whatnot. So the idea being that this is a deal between him and Triple H to... Um, go away for a while gain a reputation as a work rate guy with the hardcores go have a bunch of good matches with some trendy people in some trendy places wash the stink of gold dust away which was never going to happen within the walls of WWE wash that stink of gold dust away and come back hot with uh, with with a rep as one as a work rate guy, which honestly has been a ticket to get into the company, you know, for some time. With you know, look at some of the guys we just talked about, including Johnny Gargano. And I was like, ah, you know, it's it's a fun theory, but I don't know. But now that you look at some things that have happened since I heard that, it all adds up, and it all makes way too much sense. Because the, the 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 rumor that's going around is that he's not being paid by Evolve to work Evolve. He's being paid by WWE to work Evolve. Because he's not really released. It's sort of a soft release. Where all sides know he's coming back imminently. And Evolve, of course, his little brother. And what was the first date he was announced for after his release? Evolve. Because from what I understand, he's, he's not being paid by Evolve. He's going to be paid by WWE to work Evolve. So, I didn't really talk about this on air, even though I was skeptical to say the least of, of but then the other day I was flat out told that Cody Rhodes has every intention of returning to WWE in the fall and he doesn't have any bookings beyond October right now which to be fair I mean how many people do or how many people do where the bookings are announced at least most companies aren't announcing things that far ahead. But he's got his Evolve bookings. 
He's got his PWS booking with Pat Buck. No, I'm sorry, Russell Pro with Pat Buck. He's got his uh, BOLA booking in place for September. His little checklist there. Okay. Here's what I'm telling you you need to look for with the Cody Rhodes thing, which I believe is a work. That's my opinion. Unless he works, until he works for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, or TNA, I don't buy that he legitimately quit the company. I don't buy it. Because why wouldn't those promotions go after him and go after him strong? And those are promotions that I was told he could do anything he wants during this quote-unquote release, but he can't work for New Japan or Ring of Honor. I wasn't told TNA, but I would assume that... See, TNA he probably knows he can't work for, but they probably didn't bother telling him because he probably doesn't want to work for TNA. And they probably know that. That's, you know, the state of TNA these days. But I don't buy that this is a real release until I see his name on a poster for one of those three companies. I'm sorry, that's, that's the way I'm looking at it here. Especially when I was told uh, yesterday via someone, you know, very, very close to the situation that he's returning to WWE in the fall October was the vague date I was given. And that he is indeed going to be paid by WWE during this interim period. Now, the sto- now look, this story came out last week that WWE had offered him a Legends contract. I believe that's part of the work. Who reported that story? Mike Johnson reported that story. A co-opted member of the WWE media team. Who also, by the way, was the person who leaked on WWE's behalf the bullshit story that Chris Hero wouldn't be working Evolve anymore because Evolve was just going to be people WWE was interested in. A true farm system. So Chris Hero would no longer be booked. That turned out to be false. That turned out to be a planted story to Mike Johnson by WWE. Much like, I believe, this WWE Legends contract story, which was reported by Mike Johnson, was also a planted and fed story by you-know-who from WWE to Mike Johnson. From one little pal to the other. The guy who always calls on Mike Johnson on the NXT conference calls. You know who I'm talking about. Because it was real funny how the Legends contract story leaked. and or, or, I'm sorry, was reported. Right around the same time where I start, where, you know, and it wasn't, it's obviously not me. If I'm hearing these rumors, other people are hearing them too. I'm hardly the first person that hears these things. Okay? I'm not putting myself over here. So if I'm hearing it, other people are hearing it. And from what I understand, well, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to say that uh, that I know other people have heard about this. And and if they want to talk about it, they can talk about it. But I know other people know about this story. Okay, no one's talking about it. They don't have the guts to talk about it for whatever reason. 
But you know me, I don't care. I'll talk about it. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, I know other people know about the story, but right around the same time that it started making the rounds, all of a sudden the, the, the Legends contract story came out. A little fishy to me. And that's just, listen, this is just me connecting dots now. This part of it is just all my speculation where I'm putting the pieces together. Because remember, when I first heard this, I just chalked it up. Look, Rich will attest to this. We hear crazy shit all the time that's just wacky rumors and we never, ever, ever talk about it publicly because it's wrestling. So much bullshit goes around. And when I first heard this story, I just thought it was fun speculation on the parts of people. But now all the pieces are coming together. And what I was told yesterday from someone very close to the situation about Cody still being paid by WWE and and how he's going back in the fall. And this was a person who had no idea what I had heard previously through the grapevine. It just came up, you know, was sent to me casually. So it's like, again, it, it isn't just circular rumors going around at this point. I believe the whole situation's bullshit. I think the Legends uh, contract story is bullshit. When does this company ever offer Legends contracts to wrestlers in their prime who have a chance to some point go back? Because whether this whole thing is a work or not, and whether uh, the whole plan all along was for Cody to go away and you know come back a new man with a fresh coat of paint, I think we all assumed at some point he was going to be back in the company, right? the last 20 minutes of this podcast aside, we all assumed at some point he'd be back. When do they offer those kinds of people legends contracts? The answer is never. You know, it, it's, come on. This is bullshit. Over Cody Rhodes' legend contract? What is he, 29 years old? You know he's coming back. How old is Cody Rhodes? And now, you know, Cody Rhodes claiming he's upset that that came out. Come on. Come on, man. He's 31 years old. And remember, Cody Rhodes tried to pull this once before. They did a firing angle with Cody Rhodes. Ironically, it was the kickoff to the Stardust gimmick. They did a firing angle once before with Cody Rhodes. And he was all set. Ironically, again, as history repeats, part of that firing gimmick, which again was a work, to put over the gimmick, he was going to work a a PWS match back with Pat Buck when Pat Buck was running. Now Pat Buck runs WrestlePro. But at the time, he was running PWS. And at the time, Cody Rhodes, the the indie match he was going to do to put over the firing angle was a PWS match, which this podcast had covered front to back at the time. And we've talked about a million times since. And by the way, which Pat Buck later admitted after we took a lot of heat when the match never happened, he told us that match was going to happen. But WWE, you know, put the kibosh on it before, you know, they, they... Whatever, with the angle, the angle switch course. So Cody Rhodes is a guy who's tried this before. The fake firing, you know, fake release, whatever. You know, He's done this before. This is something he's clearly had, is something he's been interested in doing. And a lot of the players here are still the same. 
His booking rates all over the board from people I talk to. All dependent on whether it's a trendy place to work, whether they have an opponent that's on his checklist. It's all over the board. I've seen exorbitant rates that he's asked for, and I've seen very low rates that he's asked for. And apparently, Evolve's not paying him at all. It's just a backdoor deal. It's an under, it's an un, it's an under the table deal between him and uh, Triple H and him and the company. From what I understand, and he'll be back in the fall. But we'll see. I personally, based on what I was, talk, I was not going to talk about this ever until what, until the person I talked to yesterday. Now I believe that it's all bullshit because that person basically just flippantly said, you know, yeah, it's nonsense, bullshit. He's not really not with, he's not legitimately, you know, completely free of the company. And then if you stack up the evidence, it all it all starts to make sense. And actually, it's a pretty damn good idea. It's a damn good plan. You know, but it's contingent on him going out there and performing well. That's a big that's a big part of this. If Cody Rhodes goes out there and lays a bunch of eggs and has disappointing matches, if he goes out there, if he goes out to Bola, okay, if he goes out to Reseda, and he has a Brian Myers wet fart, this plan is not going to do anything for him. He's got to come back hot for this to work. If he goes to Evolve, where the working standard is through the roof, and they're pumping out four-star match after four-star match on those shows, and he goes out there and has, you know, a two-star special... It's going to backfire. He only It's not only not going to heat him up. He's going to look like a goof. And then you know what it's going to look like when he goes back in the fall? It's going to look like he's a guy who tried his hand at art house wrestling and couldn't cut it and went back to WWE with his tail between his legs which will be unfair, but that's what it'll look like. He's got to perform. Whether this is all a work or not, he's got to perform. And and work in the sense of, look, I don't know whether he was officially granted release papers or not. I don't know any of that, but that doesn't matter. Brian Pillman was released by WCW, by Eric Bischoff, you know, all being part of a con to work the boys, and it eventually backfired on Bischoff because Pillman worked Bischoff into giving him an actual release, and then he parlayed that into a WWE deal. But, I mean, it, you know, they may have really given Cody Rhodes a release to put this thing over, but the fact is he knows he's going back. They know he's going back, and from what I'm told, he's being paid to work Evolve. So that's not, you know, it's like, that's why I say it's a soft release. Something was always up here. Something was up here. I smelled a rat, man. I didn't, I didn't, just something didn't sit right about all this. And again, and maybe Cody will listen to this. I don't know. He's listened to us before. But, you know, 
you really want to put this thing over, you got to work New Japan, Ring of Honor, or TNA. But WWE isn't going to want him to do that. But we'll see. When he works one of those places, I'll buy this. And I'll come on here and do a mea culpa. I have, but until that happens, I don't buy it. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I think it's all bullshit. It's not a big deal. I mean, to me, it's a good plan. It's a big. It's a pretty good idea, actually. I think it's pretty brilliant that if they sat in a room and came up with this and said, "How do we look?" Because if he stayed in the company, okay. He wasn't going to wash the stink of gold dust off of him. First of all, they weren't letting him go on TV as they, they they simply weren't allowing him to transition back to Cody Rhodes. And even if they did, being coming fresh off, he he was going to have to go away for a while anyway, and then come back. So if you're going to do that, why not really go away? You know what I mean? If if he's if he's stardust on superstars one week, and then he just pops up as Cody Rhodes on Raw the next. Everyone immediately thinks of Stardust. That's not washing that stink away. So you, you're going to have to send them home for a couple months. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty damn good idea to say, hey, well, instead of just sitting home, how about to take this thing further? I go work in all these trendy places for a few months instead, gain the favor of the hardcore fan, and come back hot. Show that I'm not some goofy gimmick. I'm a, I'm a tremendous wrestler, and I'm going to win people over and show it to them. Come back in this company a hot commodity. It's actually a really good idea. So, anyway, that's what I think is up with Cody Rhodes. And I mean, it all it all makes sense and it all adds up, honestly. So that's our show this week. Might be one that gets us in some trouble. Who knows? Just having some fun with some gossip and some rumors, some things that I've heard. Figured I'd pass it along to you guys. Don't know if Rich will be back next week. Remains to be seen, as Gorilla Monsoon would say. As he gets settled into his house. And gets his internet squared away. He deserves a break, though. It's like I said earlier in the show. You know, Rich Krejci deserves a break. It's a well-earned respite for one Mr. Krejci who's been a very busy man and a man who really works his ass off. So good for you, Rich. Rich never listens to my solo shows. And if he did, he probably turned this one off after I put him over in the first half hour. But uh, congratulations, Rich, once again. You're a heck of a guy. Good for you. I'm glad you're... uh, All these great things are happening in your life, pal. And then next week, we'll be right back to ripping you. For the absent Rich Creech, I'm Joe Lanza. Thank you for listening to Voices of Wrestling. In a world of one million... 
Wrestling Podcast, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.